Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great as 2020 proceeds. going to be a pretty heavy year, but lots of good work to do for sure. And today's episode is going to be about taking the elitist critique of the Democratic Party seriously. It was motivated by an article I read in the New Republic that just came out last week called Educated Fools, Why Democratic Leaders Still Must Misunderstand the Politics of Social Class. It's by Thomas Geoghegan. I'm sure I am mispronouncing his name. My apologies, but hard name to pronounce. Uh, I put a link to the article in, um, in the kind of description of the show, so you can find it there. But again, just if you Google educated fools in the New Republic, it'll come up. It's not behind a paywall, so you can check it out. Uh, before I get into the article, what it's saying, and my response to it, I just want to give a shout out to the Democratic leadership that has just wrapped up the impeachment case against the president. Uh, and a particular shout out to Adam Schiff. I mean, just a, a devastating, devastating, thorough, comprehensive argument about why uh, the president should be removed from office. If we lived in a sane country, the senators would vote 100 to 0 to remove the president. The argument is unambiguous overwhelming and devastating and sadly the republican party so far has just displayed its utter depravity and treasonous conduct just every type of conspiracy theory on one end to just the president did nothing wrong let's move on in the other the descriptions of the senators the gop senators playing crossword puzzles leaving the room, falling asleep, and absolutely just uh, not taking their constitutional duty seriously. This is the most serious thing a senator has to assess, which is the conduct of the president when the president is uh, a lunatic and a criminal and a two-bit thug. And that's where we are. So I don't want to get too much into that. We know who the Republican Party is. We know what they represent. And it is all bad, and we need to get rid of them and send them into the dustbin of history, which is a lot of the motivation for this podcast. Uh, but I want to come back to the uh, the key message here, which is uh, you know the 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 critique of the liberals as elitist. And I want to start with the first paragraph of the article, and it reads as this. Here's a little thought experiment. What would happen if by a snap of the fingers, white racism in America were to disappear? 
it might be that the black and Latino working class would be voting for Trump too. Then we Democrats would, would have no chance in 2020. We often tell ourselves, oh, we lost the white working class vote because of race. But the truth might be something closer to this. It's only because of race that we have any part of the working class turning out for us at all. So that's the first paragraph of this piece, Educated Fools, and it's quite provocative. And, you know, I've, I've been hearing elitist critiques of the Democratic Party for many years, and I usually dismiss them because, you know, they're coming from people of bad faith. But the author of this article is a Democratic labor activist. He's been in Democratic politics for decades. And he is actually writing this article because he wants to help Democrats. And I, I do think it's a good faith effort. There's a lot in this article that is, uh, you know, is worth assessing. To get into kind of some of the, you know, it's a long article. Again, I recommend you all read it. But he kind of, he also talks about basic kind of trust and values, right? That the Democratic kind of establishment, party establishment, doesn't trust people without four-year college degrees, right? That it's become such a class of professionals with college degrees and graduate degrees and medical degrees and law degrees that we just don't trust those without education. And he, you know, pushes it back at us and says, why should they trust us? If we don't trust them, why should they trust us? And he asks in the beginning of the piece, you know, how many liberals reading this are friends with people without college degrees. And I'm going to say full disclosure that I have many friends without college degrees. Now, some of them have high school degrees from elite New York public schools, but not all of them. And here in California, I actually know people, uh, my neighbors are friends of mine and other people in my neighborhood who I know who uh, don't have college degrees. I'm friends with farmers here who don't have college degrees. So maybe I'm in the minority of Democrats, in the kind of Democratic elite that actually do have many friends without college degrees, but there, there you go. There's full disclosure. And so, you know, I, I want to kind of break down the, his critique into two pieces. And the first will be kind of the, the cultural critique, right? And that's the, the really where he starts, which is that the professional class of the Democratic Party is really culturally elitist. And then I want to get more into the substantive critique about are our policies, our democratic policies elitist and do they ignore the uh, working class? Before I get into that though, I do want to take a few moments to just analyze the right-wing critique uh, that, you know, if you listen to Fox News or Breitbart or Rush Limbaugh, or even, you know, anybody from Trump on down, you know, the right-wing critique is that Democrats are all coastal elites, we're secular, we're anti-religion, and we look down and even hate flyover country and rural communities. And so you actually hear this quite often on Fox News, you know, they hate us, these coastal elites hate you, and, you know, and they kind of, again kind of riling up the base to kind of be really antagonistic to the Democratic Party. Now, I want to begin by saying there is definitely a grain of truth in this critique, right? The critique is not 100% outlandish and based on falsehood. The Democratic Party has become very associated with the professional class. Uh, Democrats 
are clustered in California, New England, New York, D.C. And there's a lot of truth that a lot of Democrats in these areas dislike much of middle and rural America because they prefer cosmopolitanism and modernity and a lot of the values that uh, they, you know, feel that middle America and rural communities are putting forth, you know, evangelicalism, a lot of the racial racial politics, they, they reject. And so there are definitely, definitely some truth to this. And uh, I'll speak a little bit more, you know, in the next segment about that. It's also no, no doubt that many Democratic activists are clustered in, in these areas and, you know, our, our cultural sensibilities probably are elitist for, in, in many ways. And, and I think it's something we need to take seriously. But coming from the right wing, the irony here is that Republican thought leaders uh, are also clustered in the bluest states. Now, some of this is because Washington, D.C. is coastal and New York City, where the media is. But it is ironic, right, that Fox News is based in Midtown, New York. And, you know, and you have these, you know, essentially white Republican conservatives just going on and on about, you know, how uh, elitist uh, the Democratic Party is. And then they get out into the middle of Manhattan. And more than that, though, because, again, that's where media is clustered. I get it. That's where Fox News is going to be based. But where do they live? Where do the Republican conservatives live? You know, where does the Tucker Carlson's and the Rush Limbaugh's and the Trump's and all the, you know, the, the, the National Review and all the kind of elite people? They do not live in the heart of red states, right? If they really believed that you know, cosmopolitan was bad and it's, you know, the centers of secular stagnation and depravity, they could go and live in the, the hotbeds of, you know, of red states. What are the reddest states in the country? Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina. But they don't live there. And they don't live in rural areas. They extol the virtues of rural areas. But by and large, they live in, you know, wealthy enclaves of suburbs and cities. And, and the reason here is obviously simple, right? is that the right wing, Republican Party, the conservative movement is a con. It's one big con. Like I like to joke, you know, Republicans, they put the con in conservative. And it's a white grievance cult in the service of plutocracy. So Tucker Carlson, the guy who made his, you know, life famous with his bow ties and his, you know, prep schools and his Ivy League and his, I mean, he's one of the most elitist people in the world, is now the populist icon you know, for the downtrodden whites, right? Trump, who, you know, grew up in New York City and inherited hundreds of millions and went to war, and he's the down, you know, he's the champion of the downtrodden. So look, it's a good con. You know, the Republican conservative movement has been full of, you know, these elitists, you know, George Bush went to Yale, his dad is, you know, rich a rich politician, and then he becomes the folksy guy. He buys his ranch in Texas, wears his cowboy hat. As soon as he's done being president, he sells his ranch and moves to the city, right? So it's always a con. Um, and, you know, the fact that Republicans and, and conservatives are hypocrites is, is no surprise. They lie about everything, so of course they lie about this. But I do want to examine the, the critique from a liberal's perspective, again, the, the article in the New Republic is from a Democratic liberal perspective, because I think there is something there. So after the break, uh, we'll come back and uh, examine that. Hypocrites and parasites. 
Okay, so I want to break this down into first examining this cultural critique of the Democratic Party, right? That its orientation is too oriented to the professional class, people with higher education and, and their sensibilities. And again, I, I think here there is really a significant amount of truth. And, and this is important for, for you know, the future of the Democratic Party because most voters don't analyze policy papers. They don't read white papers. They vote for people who think they represent their interests. And to the extent that the Democratic Party's orientation, language, its sensibilities reflect the kind of the values of only wealthy coastal urban enclaves, this, I think, can absolutely be problematic for attracting a broad coalition. It's also really important, I think, here to emphasize that the divide in America is much more a rural-urban divide than really a state-by-state red-blue divide. Even in the South, which is the GOP stronghold, the cities lean heavily Democratic, whether it's Dallas, Charlottesville, or Miami. And so I do think our, mat- our, our attitudes matter as well as the symbolism. Right? It's important, I think, for the Democratic Party to elevate more people from the middle of the country to leadership positions, from rural areas, to put them front and center in press conferences, in, in conferences, in Democratic meetings. I think the Democratic Party should hold more of its, you know, its meetings and its conferences in these areas and, and really make clear that the Democratic tent is wide and welcoming to all areas of the country. I think we should talk to you know, the governors and the state senators and the congressmen and men and women in rural areas in the middle of the country and ask them what type of language should we use. And again, not to pander to people, but just, you know, what are the sensibilities so that we can really make people feel more comfortable with the Democratic Party and not feel that it's an elitist, you know, kind of ranks that they, you know, that they don't have access to. Right. And uh, it's also important to note, though, in while in saying this, that the Democrats have definitely lost the white working class. Right. A Democratic candidate hasn't won a majority of whites and a majority of white working class voters for decades. Right. But we do win a majority of lower income people. It just happens to be that many of those are non-white. It's, it's blacks, Latinos, Asian-Americans. And so. The Democratic Party actually has a pretty strong working class um, core. Uh, it, again, it's not it doesn't, we do not have the majority of the white working class, but we have the majority of the working class overall, if you look at all ethnicities. And so I think that this means especially that a lot of these industries that the working class is in that is non-white, we really should also, you know, emphasize them, right? And this means farm workers, processing plants and factories, the hospitality and food services and retail, right? We should think about the working class in a very broad way and and think about it not just, you know, as pandering to the white working class, right? After Trump's victory, you know, there's been years and years of this kind of this real kind of fetishization of the white working class. And I think if the Democrats really want to get their true kind of working class bona fides, we don't want to overcorrect and just really pander to the white working class, but think of a kind of a, a much broader working class message. And so in summary here, I think the, the perception that Democrats represent only the wealthy professional classes in coastal areas is, you know, 
uh, again, I think substantively false, and I'm going to talk about that more in the next segment. But I think, you know, it is true in terms of kind of, again, the language, the symbolism, some of the cultural attitudes. And, and that's because, again, most Democratic leadership is based in these areas, and therefore that's what they reflect. So I don't think it's a huge lift to change this. I think with some relatively minor changes and a shift in emphasis, we could really make the Democratic Party speak to a much larger uh, swath of America, and I think that would be a really good thing to do. So after the break, I'll come back and talk a little bit more about the substance in terms of policy, and here I don't think the critique is, is as valid. Okay, so, you know, I think, again, there, there's reason to believe that Democrats are too focused on the, the professional classes in one, in one context. I think there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of years about free college education and student debt relief. And this is mostly coming from Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, but, you know, it's, it's really dominated democratic, uh, you know, policy discussions. And let, let's take a step back here and see why this could be problematic. Again, I, I think a lot of students who are burdened with really high uh, student loans, I think the interest rates are egregious. The fact that banks, you know, pay close to nothing and, and students pay seven or eight percent from the government is just egregious. And absolutely, the interest rate should be essentially zero, I think, or maybe very nominal, maybe one to two percent. But, you know, students who, who graduated in the Great Recession or, you know, or whose, whose wages were really hit in this last decade and they have this burden with the high interest rates, it's a huge deal. I think access to education and higher education is a huge deal. But 70% of Americans are not going to go to college and don't have college degrees. And an emphasis on making college free and relieving student debt for people who are who have already gone to college is a really regressive policy. It's an upward shift of in, redistribution of income, you know. And, and I think it's really important for Democrats to realize this, right? And I could see, you know, a factory worker being resentful, saying, you know, why is tax money going to relieve someone who went to a fancy school and who has a college degree and is making more money than me? Because college-educated people, by and large, make more money. Than people without college degrees, right? And you know it could exacerbate these differences, right? So, so it doesn't mean though that I think you know free college or at least low cost college and, and forgiving debt are bad uh, policies, but they are regressive. They really would upwardly redistribute income, and they're not gonna have a huge impact on that seventy percent, right? Maybe if we gave free college or, or, again, heavily subsidized college, we get a few percentage points more people to go. And that's great. That could be, you know, millions more people. 
But that bulk, that 7 out of 10 that are not going to pursue college, uh, really our focus for policy should be on them. right? They are the bulk of, of the, the citizenry, whether white or other ethnicities. So, you know, when, when Trump was running, he famously said things about, I love the low educated voters and I love, you know, you know, I, I love representing them. And there was a sense that Hillary Clinton was kind of elitist and had all these white papers for, you know, her fancy policies. And, uh, and, and I think that hurt us. So substantively, though, I think our policies are pretty squarely helpful for the working class and for that seven out of 10 without a college degree. But I think we've gotten off course, both because of the emphasis on college and the kind of primary, and we're just not good at messaging. You know, the Democrats, we we do the hard work, we do the policy behind the scenes, but we don't really message it. And so, you know, to give an example, the, the Affordable Care Act, its benefits went disproportionately on those without college degrees, whites and otherwise, right, in, in the Medicaid expansion in the subsidies for people who are small business owners or you know people who don't have full benefits at their job. Uh, Obama administration worked very hard in many contexts to strengthen overtime laws, and this really helps people who are paid hourly, workplace health and safety, equal pay for men and women, because many women in the workplace, especially at you know, in lower um, you know, in lower ed- jobs that require less education, oftentimes get less pay. And Democrats across the board support higher minimum wage laws and strong unions, which are very, very supportive of the working class. So I think that the critique that Democrats don't focus on the plight of the working class largely rings hollow on substance. You know, and this is especially true if we compare and contrast this to the Republicans who have basically been waging a war on workers for decades. I mean, fighting against um, minimum wage, fighting against universal health care, fighting against unions, uh, fighting against worker safety. Right. So the only reason that Trump has a chance to win reelection, the only reason the Republican Party can say anything about its kind of affinity for the working class is because in aggregate, the economy is doing reasonably well and unemployment is reasonably low. This isn't due to any Republican policies. It's basically a continuation of the Obama economy. But, it, you know, those numbers are reasonably good. And, and if you're a worker, you're probably feeling reasonably good in this economy. Again, without the Republicans having any, actually done anything to specifically um, benefit the working class. But again, it's important to remember that most of these jobs, even with this record low unemployment, are not high paying. They don't have good benefits. And the majority of Americans are in a very precarious financial position, right? There's that statistic that like half of Americans couldn't handle an emergency $400 expense. You know, that would, they don't have the money, any savings to handle even the slightest kind of bit of uh, uncertainty. So, even with this relatively good economy, there's a huge opening to focus on the working class, and it's the right thing to do, not just for the for the substance, but for the pol- politics as well. And so I think the Democrats here are doing a lot for the working class, but need to do a much je- better job of messaging, emphasizing a working class agenda, and also prioritizing it, right? I think the fact that so much of the discussion has been on free college and student debt relief has probably been to our detriment. You know, we, we should put the priorities of the 7 out of 10 above 
the 3 out of 10. So after the break, I'll come back with some more antidotes about uh, what we all individually can do to kind of contribute to this uh, reorientation towards a kind of democratic working class agenda. Okay, so at the end of this article, Educated Fools, uh, again, that I highly recommend you read, the author lays out some kind of some ideas for remedying what he sees as this kind of elitism. And one of the things he laments is the fact that, you know, Democrats no longer live and work, at least in the professional class, amongst the working class, that there used to be many mixed neighborhoods you know, throughout America, but because of gentrification, you know, more and more people have been sorted and segregated by class, and he really wants, you know, more mixed economic areas. And and I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I, you know, I think it gets into much bigger forces, right? The economic inequality, the lack of affordable housing. But that's something that, that you know, that liberals can work on, right? A lot of the affordable housing crisis in, in you know, the big cities, San Francisco, LA, New York, is because of zoning, right? Because we don't allow high density, you know, um, dwellings in certain areas, and we haven't allowed for more, you know, building, and we haven't pushed for affordable housing. So I think that's something we can do. Uh, you know, I also think that there's no, you know, there's there's no question that. When thinking about where we want to live, you know, to, to think about, you know, being somewhere that's a little bit more mixed and sending our kids to public school, etc. But these are much longer term things, right? These are going to take quite a, a long, a long time. And so I want to do something a little bit more micro that can be done more immediately. And it really speaks to the theme that I really want to keep emphasizing here in 2020, which is unity. Right. The Democratic Party needs to be unified in order to fight back the, the right wing machine here. And that unity requires a real welcoming attitude towards everyone. Right. No more talking about deplorables. Right. We want to talk about welcoming everybody and, and a big tent party. Right. The, the Democratic coalition is by its nature a very diverse big tent. And we need to make sure that that's open to not just you know, people of color and the democratic professional kind of class, but, you know, also to, to the working class of all types, all backgrounds, rural, Midwestern, white. And to the extent that the Democrats and liberals among us here are, are have a bias against the cultures and professions of those with less formal education, I think we really should try to identify that bias. We really need to ask ourselves, you know, do we look down on people with less formal education, right? Do we have friends, uh, uh, you know, who are, you know, tradespeople who work in retail? You know, would we be upset if one of our sons or daughters was dating somebody from a different educational class? And we need to just check those biases. And, and you know, 
and these are you know these are things that are deep seated and then they will take some time but i think just kind of asking yourself those fundamental questions you know one thing i do i think it's something small but I, and i could probably do more of is you know at my place of work i make a a, a point to converse with all the people you know whether it's the admin assistants the maintenance workers the janitors um, I, I oftentimes I will get them gifts, you know, to kind of tell them, you know, to show them some thanks for the job they're doing and just to kind of, you know, invite them to social gatherings. If, you know, if I have a small party for students, I'll, I'll invite everybody. Right. And so it's not just the professors and students. It's the, you know, the maintenance workers and the admin assistants are invited, too. And I think just that that move towards being more inclusive and not stratifying in our kind of professional classes, I think is very important. Uh, and that's really what we need to build a powerful and overwhelming majority coalition that can really send the right wing into the dustbin of history. And so on that, I think uh, I do agree with the author of the of the piece, Educated Fools, Thomas Gilgogan, that we can do a, a much better job and, and that we need to emphasize and prioritize the working class, and that's really historically what the Democrats did. Um, it's certainly the legacy of FDR, and obviously it's a new world, and, and the Democratic Party has has gotten rid of its white supremacy legacy that unfortunately was during the 40s and 50s and early 60s. So we're a multi-ethnic, multicultural coalition, but I think we really should reemphasize an, an orientation towards the working class. So with that, everybody, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with family, friends, and colleagues, uh, rate it, and uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. And with that, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Take care.